This is a great job. That's a happy song. I like that. I like the choir song and um, the uh, Unseen Hand, one of my favorite songs our choir does, and I appreciate that. The choir and orchestra this morning was just spot on, and I just enjoyed so much of the singing today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12. We're actually going to continue, uh, going to continue uh, our uh, series. Uh, this is part 20, if you can believe it. I, I shouldn't have started naming these parts because I don't, I don't go this long in a series, but it is a longer book. We started this uh, journey last year. Our theme last year was revival, and um, we, it took us about mid-year to actually get into this study, and so um, this is the 20th uh, study. We're in Acts chapter 12. Let's stand together, please, reading God's Word, Acts chapter 12. We'll pick up reading in verse number 18, and we'll work our way down through verse 25. Last week, we were introduced uh, to King Herod, a bloodthirsty king, uh, a grandson of the Herod that killed all the babies when Jesus was born. And uh, now he raises up and vexes the church. He kills James, one of the apostles. The first apostle was slain, dies a martyr death. And he arrested Peter and would have killed him had it not been around the Easter time or what they called Easter in the Bible, but Passover. And because of the Jews' tradition, they feared, he feared to do that. So he locked him up, and it was his intention to just as quick as that was over, just a few days kill him. And, of course, prayer was made in the church. We talked about that how great prayer was made there in the church. And um, God just came in with an angel, smote him, woke him up, took him out in the street, took him through several watches, and he was actually chained and all that, and he was spared. And then he went to the church there, where another James was there, was the pastor, I believe, of the church at Jerusalem, and they'd been praying for him. So we looked through all that, and then that infuriated Herod, and he killed the guards that were guarding him. We're going to pick up reading now in verse number 18. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. And they came with one accord to him and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. In other words, uh, they were getting their food in the middle of this famine uh, from uh, Herod's people and his government. And, verse 21, upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration. Or he gave a big speech, flowery speech unto them. The people gave shout, gave a shout saying, it is a voice of a God and not of man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. I want you to read with me verse number 23, our text verse tonight, verse 23. Let's read that out loud in unison together. Verse 23, ready? And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. I'm going to speak on this subject for just a while tonight, a reminder 
of retribution. A reminder of retribution. And I, I, I want to kind of get off maybe the themes that we're on right now. But God keeps leading us to these themes, and so therefore I must preach what God lays on my heart. But uh, I do believe that God's doing that because America is running headlong thinking that God's never going to judge this nation. And people are living in sin. They think God's never going to judge them. And they feel like they're getting by with things. And this is a reminder that we don't get by with any of it. And a reminder of retribution. Let's pray. Father, bless now your word and challenge us, Lord, please, with truth. Thank you for these who have gathered here today and tonight in this great crowd. And we all long for the day that we can maybe change some of the COVID standard. We're waiting for wisdom on all of that. We want to be wise. But thank you for the patience of these people, their love and support down through these months. It's been long. But as we come to Sunday night, we rejoice to be together. And I pray you'll just give us a great night in your house, please, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Here we find another shocking event that reminds us, reminds the church that we serve a holy God. <clears throat> For the second time in this book, God strikes a man dead. As you recall, in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira were the last two that died when they lied to the Holy Ghost. Now, this bloodthirsty King Herod, who has become, made himself the enemy of the church, is killed by God. As with God's last move of retribution with Ananias and Sapphira, the Bible says in verse 24 that revival again occurs. And the word of God uh, is, grows and multiplies in verse 24. I believe that it did so because people in Peter's day, God's people I should say, feared the Lord. And I guess if you get anything out of this message tonight, as born-again Christians, as God's people, you and I should fear the Lord. I don't think we do that like we should. We need to get a wholesome reverence of our holy God. In this passage, God reminds the church of good and evil. He reminds them, I believe, of blessing and judgment and grace and vengeance. God just lets his people know Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm, Psalm 105, verse 15. How many remember the she-bears in 2 Kings chapter 2? How they came out of the woods and destroyed the young people that were making fun of the prophet Elisha. And I, I think about Belshazzar and the handwriting that was written on the wall that night as he drank booze and drank himself drunk from the vessels that were stolen by his grandfather from the temple of God. One night in Daniel chapter 5, he felt like that he'd had a hold of the kingdom, and so he brought all of his subordinates in, the princes and other people in, and they had a wild party, and they got drunk, and they got so drunk, they said, go down and get those vessels that we stole out of Jerusalem, those holy vessels out of the temple, and they brought them in, and the crowd drank their wine out of that. And you remember that night, uh, the handwriting was on the wall. He knew not what it meant. So they brought Daniel in, and Daniel says, uh, this, then, this was the part of the hand sent from him, the writing, and this was it, written, verse 25, Meeny, meeny, tekel, you farsam, 
And Daniel says, this is the interpretation of the thing. Meaning means God numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tiko, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. The Bible says this in verse 30, verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain, and Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about threescore uh, and two years old. You say, what's that all about? I mean, God is not going to let you make fun of the man of God as with Elisha, and God is not going to let people get by with taking the, the elements and the things of God and using them in some booze, drunken booze party and desecrate that which is holy. I'm just saying, we serve a holy God. Today's society does not fear God, and they know very little about what is called in the Bible retribution. The definition of retribution is this, and I'm quoting, judgment inflicted upon someone as repayment for a wrong or criminal act. Now, we fully understand that when retribution is played out amongst human beings, they can be wrong in their acts of retribution. But you write this down somewhere, don't ever forget it. God is never wrong because God never makes a mistake. Regarding judgment and retribution, Deuteronomy chapter number 32, verse 4 says this, for all his ways are judgment and a God of truth without iniquity, just and right is he. Don't ever blame God for judging you wrong. Don't ever blame God when he judges someone else when you know it's from God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, For we know him that he has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And often we think, well, God just judges the unsaved world. No, no. Whom the Lord loveth, he chaseth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And you and I don't need to fall. God's people don't need to fall into his angry hands. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, we kind of touched on some this morning. But the Bible says this in verse 18. For the wrath, wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. There's just one truth, and don't mess with the truth, and don't drag the truth down into the world's unrighteousness. In end times, retribution comes along. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 15 says this, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? There is a payday coming someday, and God is in charge of all of that. Now, regardless of what you think about God, he is perfect in his acts of retribution. Be it hell, be it the tribulation period, we look at those two particular topics in the Scripture. I just want you to know this. God will never unjustly send anybody to hell because he makes no mistake. By the way, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, and people only go there because of the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Such a simple thing we have to do in life 
is believe in the precious blood of Jesus Christ and his salvation there and it was bought and paid for on the cross of Calvary and the three days in the grave and he rose again. He's alive right now. Such a simple thing. Never go to a place called hell by not believing in the simple gospel. Then the tribulation period, as we read through that in the book of Revelation, we are astounded at the brutality of the tribulation period. If you're not careful, you'll back up and say, God's made a mistake right there. Well, listen, you and I, as Christians, I've said this a lot lately, but as Christians in this church age, we're not going through the tribulation. We're out of here. We're raptured out of here. But that, again, is for the Jewish people because God loves them with an eternal love. Now, there's a lot I, I like to say, but God is perfect in his acts of retribution, be it hell, be it the tribulation period, and God knows exactly what he is doing, and we should never, uh, we, should, we should always fear our holy and just God. I'm so glad I had a Christian mom and dad that were faithful to God's house, and they taught me how to fear God as a little boy. Then when I was old enough to read the Word of God and understand the Word of God, I'm so glad I chose that route. I want you to notice uh, three things here. I think that's what I've got. I might find another one here. Four things. But number one, write this down. First of all, we see in the text tonight, the king's convicting actions. He tells on himself. The king's convicting actions. And we learned a lot about this bloodthirsty king last week. And I hope you had a chance to uh, catch all of that message. But he kills James. He, kill, he, he sought to kill Peter. He's vexing the church. And so the Bible tells us right here in the very first verse we read, uh, the second verse, that when he was done with all this, he killed those jailers, that he went down from Judea and to, to Caesarea and their abode. Now, if you look on a map, it doesn't look like he went down. He went north because Caesarea is north of, of Jerusalem and Judea. But the topography or the geography, whatever you say, he went down to the seacoast town of Caesarea. In fact, uh, historians say that he flees to Caesarea to his seaside village, stressed out by the famine, stressed out because of the favor of the people had turned toward him. This matter of the escape of Peter made him look silly as a leader. And to be honest with you, he was a smart enough man as a leader to know that he was just getting some bad press. How many of you know that Governor Cuomo, right, Cuomo, whatever his name is, getting some bad press right now? Governor Newsom's getting some bad press right now. I'm not going to go there, but I would just tell you this. Herod was getting some bad press. So he retreats to his seaside villa, and as he gets there here, he turns inward. It's what most people do when uh, they have sinned a great sin. You say, how do you know that? Because the Spirit of God... When you have shed blood, that blood, the Bible says, cries out from the ground. This was hounding this man. James is slain. Now he has the blood of the hands of these jailers on his hands. And it was bothering him. He had sleepless nights. And so he had, I got to get out of here. I got to get away from this place. I got to get down and smell some salt air. I got I to gotta hear the, the coast and the waves bashing against the rocks. And so he leaves and, uh, and under great conviction. The end result of this type of sulking is usually twofold. Number one, you can repent and get it right. Or 
you turn inward and become even more narcissistic or selfish. Once you notice just a little phrase that pops out at us in verse number 23, the Bible says, he, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, watch this now, <clears throat> because he gave not capital G, Jehovah, God, he gave not God the glory. I believe that this man knew enough about the gospel. He knew enough about the revival that was going through his land like wildfire. He knew who to reach out and persecute. He knew about the church. And I think the man somewhere knew enough about God and the gospel that on that day, as he made this great speech, he had the chance to turn all around, but the man chose not to repent. And I'm going to tell you, you'll see as we work our way down through this thing, he had worked himself up selfishly and turned inward so much where he realized that he was going to be his best friend, his biggest hero, and his thoughts turned inward. Herod chose the latter, began to think of himself as a god. All he needed was a crowd to tell him so. That's what a narcissist is. A person is so selfish, he has a way to work the crowd toward him to tell him just how great he is. And boy, didn't he get that. The Bible says, verse 21, upon a set day, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon the throne and made oration unto them. And the people gave a shout saying, it is a voice of a God and not of a man. Boy, it fed right in his hands. I must hurry on. He got the crowd with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They had been so nervous about his crazy actions as of late and the killing spree that he was on. They'd heard about all that where they lived just a couple seaport towns up from Caesarea. They thought that maybe they could be next on his list of execution. The man was going crazy. The entourage from these two cities made quick friends with Blastus, Herod's Chamberlain, uh, and they set up a meeting with the king. I'm sure this caused Herod's antenna to run up. Why, they, why didn't they just come to me? Why did they go to Blastus? Maybe they paid him some type of kickback or whatever. But they knew they had to get a meeting with Herod in order to survive. And Herod, I believe, uses this event to exalt himself with these people who are very weak and very vulnerable and very fearful of Herod's ways and actions as of late. He knew exactly what he was doing. I'll show you that. Number one, we see the king's convicting actions. Number two, we see the king's criminal acts. We must stop here at this point and ask the question, did God have a right to kill this man? Well, let's decide. I want to mention, I want you to write down three things. First of all, we find in the scriptures that he vexed the church. He vexed the church. The Bible says in verse number one of chapter 12, before we ever find out that he kills James, he was in the process of troubling or vexing the church. The word vex literally means that he was constantly irritating them, <clears throat> annoying them, nettling them, trying to wear them down from their calls of the gospel. He was dividing them. Number one, he vexed the church. By the way, I want you as a church to prepare or a vexing from the outside. I don't want it. I don't want you to have to endure it, but I want you to prepare for that. He troubled the church. 
Let me just stop and say and clear off a spot lest you wonder what I'm talking about. This Equality Act, if it is not voted down by the Senate, the day is going to come, it's going to cause our Christian school out back and this church a lot of trouble. I must move on. Number one, he vexed the church. Number two, he vilified the church's leadership. He killed James. He arrested Peter. He had to make cases against Peter and John, these two great apostles, in order to get them to the place where he, he just didn't go out and get them, pull them in. They brought suborn witnesses and, and brought them in, history says, not the Bible, history says, and they killed these men <clears throat> because they lied about them. It caused a lot of trouble for Herod. And then number three, he had taken vengeance on his subordinates. The Bible says, we read to you, that he killed the guards. There's no great stir. This was the talk of the town in Jerusalem the next day, how Peter got out. Now, let me just stop and say, because we preached on it last week, these men had nothing to do with that. They had done nothing wrong, and this man killed them. Now, let me just stop and say, yeah, well, you read the Bible, and you read history, and you read how a blood was shed over the years, and, and you think <clears throat> that God doesn't see any of that? And you think that people aren't troubled about that whenever they do things like that? Oh, my. You don't understand the sin of murder. You don't understand the conscience that begins to die inside of you when you do things like that. And God knew what he was going to do. But this guy was on a tear. And now he had struck fear in the hearts of the government officials in Tyre and Sidon. And now he stands up. I just read to you, and attributes the fame and power of God, he attributes that to himself. How many understand the Bible says about God that he's a jealous God? How many understand that he says, I'll share my glory with no one? Let me read to you from the book of Antiquities from Josephus. Josephus, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but Josephus was a first century historian. I want to literally read to you out of his history book, that was written during that exact time. And I'm quoting. On the second day of which shows, he put on, speaking of Herod, he put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful and came up into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment be, being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays that morning upon it shone out after a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. Do you have the picture? Did everybody get that? <laughs> so he's all worked up in his seaside villa here. He doesn't turn to God as God convicts him <clears throat> of what he's done. He goes completely the opposite direction. When he went out that day, he went out. The Bible calls it right here. It calls it, uh, verse 21, arrayed in uh, royal apparel and sat upon his throne. Josephus was not inspired of God. So I'm not reading inspired scripture here. I'm reading history. And the historian says he got up that morning and maybe he'd spent a few days doing this and he made a full royal robes made out of silver 
He walks into the big theater, probably an amphitheater type situation that's looking down on him and the sun is coming up in the morning and it hits him as he comes out to the staging, he lights up. And Josephus describes it as this, unless you think I'm departing from Scripture, you say, where did you get this from? Every commentary I read and consulted actually went to this particular passage. And so, <clears throat> and so illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone out after a surprising manner was so resplendent as to spread horror over those that looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place, another from another, though not for his good, <clears throat> that he was a god. Now, Herod could have stopped this. The apostles did that. On a couple occasions, they would heal somebody and the people would bow down and they would look to them as a God. They'd say, get up, get up, get up. We're, not, we're servants of God, but not this man. He could have stopped it, but he did the opposite. His garment states this was exactly what he wanted. Number one, the king's convicting actions. Number two, his criminal acts. Did God have a right? I submit that he did. Number three, I'll hit this running, the king's gruesome death. The Bible says <laughs> he was eaten by worms. You say, uh, literally? Yeah. In fact, Matthew Henry, the great commentary, said this, not, and I'm quoting, not worms, not worm, but worms plural. How many believe your King James Bible is preserved of God, inspired and, and very perfectly accurate? He says, quote, not worm, but worms, plural. I'm continue quoting. That means he became worm eaten. So it must be read. <clears throat> rotten he was. It became like a piece of rotten wood. The body in the grave is destroyed by worms, <clears throat> but Herod's body putrefied while he was yet alive. The text indicates he immediately bred the worms which began to feed upon him betimes. Yeah. Now I need to tell you that God didn't have to take him out like this. But he did. And I believe God wanted to get the attention of all the people that Herod was deceiving. This man who thought he was so great eaten with worms before the very eyes of the people that bowed down to him. Again, on this topic, Josephus said that it was obvious that a sharp pain hit the side of the king and he doubled over, I'm paraphrasing now, in pain, was taken off the platform. And here's, the, here's his exact quote. This is Josephus. Quote, a severe pain also rose in his belly and began in a most violent manner. He therefore looked upon his friends and said, I, whom you call a God, am commanded presently to depart this life. When he said this, his, became, his pain became so violent, he doubled over. Accordingly, he was carried into the palace, and the rumor went abroad everywhere that he would certainly die in a little time. History says that five days later, the worms ate their way through his body. At age 54, Herod was dead. The gruesome's death. Now you got to scratch your head and say, could we not just left that all out? 
Why did God put that in the Bible? I'm going to tell you why. Because one of his apostles had been killed by this bloodthirsty man. And the other one was about to be killed, Peter. And God slipped in there and miraculously brought him out. And God was going to put his stamp on what happened. Nobody saw those angels come in and bring Peter out. And they could have thought Peter was lying about that whole thing anyway. But God thought, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just come down and put my stamp on this thing. By the way, that's why I thank God and had to give out a little shout when our choir sang the unseen hand. I thank God for the unseen hand. Number four, write this down. It gets better now. We see the church's glorious advancement. Look at verse 24 and 25. But, that word but connects us with everything we just preached. But the word of God grew and multiplied. That word grew means it brought results. You know, you can preach the word of God. And the word of God is always truthful when it's preached in a truthful fashion. But it does not always bring results. But now, because of what happened and God slipped in, it begins to bring results and it multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John Mark, whose surname was Mark. So what we have here now is after all that, the church's glorious advancement. In other words, in the midst of all this trouble, look what God does. The man whom the devil raised up to crush the church, Herod, dies a wretched death, and the man Peter, who led the church revival, is spared to preach on. Amen. What a glorious truth. It should remind us in the days ahead that we should never stray from the truth of God. We should never doubt that God is with us and will never leave us nor forsake us. And the cause of the gospel, which he sought to crush, is now magnified and begins to multiply greatly. The Bible says here that his word grew and multiplied. It'd be a great prayer for all of us here that God's word would grow and multiply. And just in time, Paul and Barnabas have returned from Jerusalem where the famine had hit the hardest. They'd been sent there to deliver a gift from the good people of the church at Antioch. Turn back to chapter 11. I'm almost finished. Turn back to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse number 28. By the way, after they started that great church in Antioch and many came to Christ, verse 28, there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified, this was a prophet too, by the way, and signified, let me start 27, verse 27, and in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit, that's capital S, Holy Spirit was in this, that there should be a great dearth or famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Verse 29, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief <clears throat> unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. That means it took up a big offering there in Antioch and surrounding churches been started, which also they did and sent it to the elders, but to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So again, behind this whole story in chapter 11, chapter 12, there's this, there's this historic famine going on. People were starving to death. <clears throat> That's what drove Tyre and Sidon down to Caesarea. <clears throat> That's what drove uh, Paul and, and Barnabas uh, back to Jerusalem to take the gift, the money and the food and whatever. 
to those brothers. And now, just in time, they arrive back on the scene and they end up in chapter 13, one of the great chapters of this book, in the Antioch church. They were refreshed and ready to see revival. They've got John Mark in tow. Not that he lasts long, but these men walk out of that big mess into that big church at Antioch, which we'll preach on the next time we meet, and revival really begins to break out, and church planning worldwide breaks out. Now, see, let me see if I can sum this up. <clears throat> Write this down somewhere. God is always working. When the night gets long and the days seem dark and clouds are there, the sunshine is always there, you say, why? Because God is always working. What about all the bad things, preacher? What about all those negative things and the wicked things that people do to you as a born-again Christian? How do you combat all that? Number two, turn those things over to God because he knows all about them. He knows all about them. But number three, there's a payday someday. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And you just got to step back sometimes and just be quiet. As we sang that song tonight, I want to say be still my soul, but that wasn't it. There's, there's, all of you sang it, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And sometimes you still got to stop back, step back and just say in my life, I can't deal with this. It's out of my hands. It's too much of it. I can't handle it. That's what these people did. Peter himself got out of prison. He broke up that prayer meeting that night, and everybody just so happy, happy, happy. But as I said last week, Peter begins to transition off the scene. We'll see bits and pieces of him, but he transitions off the scene in the book of Acts because the heydays of Peter we're now behind him. Let me just say this. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. And we need to really trust, if I can say this tonight, I didn't know the choir was going to sing that, in the unseen hand of God. As James was being killed, James was ready to meet the Lord. As Peter was imprisoned, as these soldiers are now killed, and all this going on in chapter 12, all that time, our sovereign God knew that Herod was going to get up in front of all those people and dig himself in a hole that he could not dig out of. And God knew exactly what he was going to do. And I want to give you some comfort and hope tonight. With all this going on in the world today, God knows exactly what he's going to do. To stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Our job is to trust and obey. Trust God and obey God. I get up every morning, and I know, I know what I'm supposed to do each day. I'm to trust God and to obey God. Well, what about this and this? Why don't you take this and matter in your hand? Why? No, no. I get up every day, and I trust and obey. Trust and obey. Father, thank you for your word tonight. And I trust something was said that would be a blessing to these people that I love. Maybe somebody or many tonight, you know, I don't. They're dealing with problems that's just really keeping them tore up.
And they know that if they inject themselves into it, it's just going to make it worse. And I pray you'll help them tonight. Trust that unseen hand. I didn't see this church retaliating at all against Herod. I saw you do what you do best. Help us as a church family moving forward to just trust you and know that you're always working. In Jesus' name, I pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. They're going to play softly here tonight. As they play, let me ask this first question. Do you know for sure that heaven's your home? Do you know if you're to die tonight, you go to heaven? If you don't know that, if you haven't settled that, why don't you leave your seat tonight? There'll be somebody standing on the end of each aisle. They've got a Bible in their hand. They'd love to take that Bible tonight and show you how you could be a born-again Christian. Don't put it off young and old alike. You may be back there saying, well, preacher, people think I'm saved. Well, do you know that? Do you have that settled? Would you come tonight? If you've been saved, not been baptized, we'd like to help you with that. If you'd like to join our church, love to help you. But tonight, could I get you, please, just to trust God. Whatever the problem is that you're going through, trust God. I know what's going through some of your minds tonight. You're looking at the big picture out there. You're looking at the political landscape and all the mess that America is in. And it's bad. I'm a pastor. I watch that stuff. But there's nothing I can do about it except vote. And I don't even know if that counts anymore. So ladies and gentlemen, tonight, wouldn't we not be better off if we just trust God? If you want to find yourself placed there in your pew and tell the Lord about it tonight, Lord, bless now as we extend this invitation. If someone's lost, Lord, I pray they'll be saved tonight. Just speak to our hearts, we pray, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're singing now. You come and you do that. certainly not try to steal your glory but then also as we move forward help us just to trust and obey the Lord as these disciples did let's sing that course together trust and obey sing it would you
been standing so long. It's good to have Chloe Spencer. Chloe, could you stand there with mom and dad? And we thank God for the Spencers. This is their daughter. They, she came to me last week and she said, Preacher, I got saved and want to be baptized. We talked through all that. And Chloe, I have here that you have been saved and you want to be baptized like Jesus was. Is that right? You rejoice her decision to do that. Would you say amen? Amen. God bless you. And if you'll slip that way with your mom, Chloe, we'll get you ready to go. And I'll be just a little bit because we got a presentation we're going to make here in just a moment. And so, Brother Olson, are you close by? I'm going to have you go first because I want to be here for that. And then, not that I don't want to be here for the other presentations, I, but I will get ready to baptize. So, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I, I just want to say one word. When was the last time? Was it 2009? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, we have... We have our students uh, win uh, championships in all of our sports from time to time. But we'd had a dry spell in uh, varsity basketball for a while. And uh, our varsity boys not only won the championship up at South Haven Baptist Church the other day, or the Christian school there, but they did so with class. So as Brother Jimmy uh, presents this, uh, we can't say enough about that, and I want you to have the coaches and the boys stand and all that. You'll work through all that, but I want to be able to say a word before you came. Okay, it's your baby. God bless you. You can steal the thunder anytime you want to. But anyway, we did have a great weekend. We took our varsity boys and girls up to uh, Springfield to play in the state tournament, and uh, sadly, we only brought one trophy home. The girls came up a little short, ended up in the final four, but came up a little short, and Miss Presley Applegate was named to the all-tournament team. So if I'd like for Presley to stand, I know she's here, and she's going to be embarrassed, but I'd love to give her a good hand. Excellent job, Presley. Now, our guys, they did, they did a great job, and it has been since 2009 since we won it, and so they're excited. And I'm going to ask all the boys and the coaches and everyone, if they would, to stand. Most of them are setting up there together as a team in the balcony, if y'all would stand. And uh, these guys. These guys are coached by Mr. Jeremy Bjornstead. And uh, we had four young men who made the all-tournament team. And so I'm gonna ask you four young men to stand. Chance Miles, is Chance here tonight. Uh, Judson Bjornstead, Trip Walker, sitting over here. And the MVP of the tournament was Mr. Parker Applegate. So let's give these guys a good hand. And we appreciate the pastor and Mr. Kramer and allowing us to participate in these and have a great time doing so. At the same time, we did represent our church and school very well and appreciate that very much. Thank you very much. I just want to say on behalf of me and my wife, we're very proud of all of our players and our coaches. I got a chance to go to some of the games, and I'm going to tell you, uh, next year will be a great year too. I want you to know that when we watch all of our kids, our girls' teams and our boys' teams, they are fun to watch. I love basketball. It's my sport. I love it, and they did a fantastic job. So one more time, let's give our teams a good hand. God bless you. We have got a uh, meeting for all of our FRBC Kids volunteers. If you work in our kids' department in any way, we'd love for you to slip into the fellowship hall right after this. We'll start right after uh, services out in here. Uh, nursery workers, preschool workers, elementary workers, if you've got anything that you do here on especially Sunday morning, we've got some very crucial information for you right after this is over.
All right, two announcements. First of all, is about our sportsman's night. That is this coming Saturday. We need some help with some of you gentlemen and women, perhaps. Um, we need some of you that have mounted animals uh, to, if you're willing, come display them for us that night. Now, I know most of us that have things we have killed and mounted, we're proud of it. And I know that we want people to see it and brag about it. So if you have any deer heads or turkeys or anything that you wouldn't mind, we will take immense care of it. It'll be displayed here on the stage. It'll just help enhance the evening that night. But you can see me after the service or Brother Joel. Also, our church emails, just for your information, are our names at franklinroad.org, okay? So seth.wagoner at franklinroad.org, joel.norris at franklinroad.org. So anyway, you can always reach us that way. But uh, touch base with this early in the week. Um, after church Wednesday night, we're gonna probably, we'll probably start setting up actually before that um, and have some things on the stage even perhaps on a Wednesday. But uh, if you can help us with that, that would be beneficial. Also, I want you to encourage your friends and neighbors and people that you know to come to that evening. We will have two brand new and exciting outdoor events that night um, set up out here in the parking lot. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna spill the beans. We're gonna have two things. There won't be any charge to do them. But we're going to have an axe throwing competition as well as a, wall, a rock wall climb. So it'll appeal to both the young and the old uh, men and the women. It doesn't matter. Come and enjoy those two events. Okay, that'll be all included with the price of your $5 ticket. Okay, also uh, next week um, for our heritage group, um, that is, of course, March 9th. Um, we're going to be going down to Shelbyville to the Bible Literature uh, Bible Literature and Missionary Foundation. We support them as a mission. We're going to go down and take a tour of their facility. They print tens of thousands of Bibles in multiple languages and ship them around the world. We're going to go actually and actually do a little work day as Heritage and help them collate some scriptures and collate some Bibles. We'll be there. We're going to leave that morning here. If you want to ride on the bus, we're going to leave at 9.15 uh, and drive down to Shelbyville, take a tour of their facility, um, help them collate some scriptures, eat some lunch, and then come back home. So about a three or four hour day that day. In the middle of the day, please sign up tonight if you want to be a part of that. Thank you. She has trusted Christ as Savior, wants to follow him in believer's baptism. Chloe, in obedience to the divine command of Christ Jesus our Lord, and upon your profession of faith, and baptizing my sister in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Buried in baptism, raised to walk in the of life. Rejoice her decision to follow Christ in baptism. Would you say amen? Amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you.
minute ago um, when Brother Seth said something about the axe throwing. And I was like, oh, some people would get really excited about that. And then others would be like, whoa, I'm not going anywhere near that place. And my daughter looks at me and goes, can we do that? <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't answer that question at that moment. Okay. We won't answer it right then. Those of you headed to the FRBC Kids um, uh, meeting tonight, just to make sure you know where that is, that's straight across the hallway in the fellowship hall, okay? So when you leave this, uh, this room, just go straight across the way and uh, be involved in that meeting. I'm, I feel like there's something else I'm, uh, we were supposed to say, but I'm, I'm going to remind you this. Yes, vision offering Sunday today. Remember that's debt retirement. If you did bring that, drop it right in the offering box. Just make sure you designate it if you would, please. And you can continue to give to that if for some reason you forgot or uh, you, you know, didn't have your checkbook, whatever. You can always give online. Just designate those things. But uh, we want to be a blessing to our church family and participate in those tithes and offerings as God has commanded us and as he leads you as well. Let's stand together and let's sing together our going home song just the chorus of all that thrills my soul is Jesus he is more than life to me all that thrills my soul is Jesus he is more than life to me and the fairest of ten thousand in my blessed Lord I God bless you. Have a wonderful night. We hope to see you on Wednesday night for evening service. Don't forget to pick up Sportsman's Night cards. Hand those out. If you are going to fellowship, just stay within those seats if you would. Leave the aisleways and the hallways open for those who are making their way out. God bless you. Have a wonderful night and a wonderful week.